Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Silva, just a little over a week to go in the regular season. So if you're still hanging with us, I guess that means you're you're still in the race in, in your fantasy league, or or you just really want to listen to this show. But either way, we thank you for that. Thank you for being here. Um, but this show isn't just about the remaining week and a half of the season. We're also in this episode, we're going to give our 2021 all rebound teams, just basically players who've underperformed this year who could be values for next season. So that's going to be the bulk of the show today. But we're also going to get into some headlines here at the top, and I'm going to give some weekend streaming starting pitcher options at the end of the show. So Drew, I'll bring you in here. And I, I guess the the biggest fantasy riser over the past week is Jared Walsh with the Angels. Um, and he's actually someone I put in waiver-wired last week, last Thursday. But I put him under my AL-only recommendations because the Angels were going to Coors Field. I was like, maybe you'd take a shot on someone like Walsh who's you know had big power numbers in the minors. But there's no way I thought he would hit, what, five homers in the span of seven games? It's crazy. Right. Yeah, I mean, like you said, he he was a, a bopper in the minor leagues with 29 home runs in 2018, 36 in 2019 at AAA Salt Lake, and that was only in, in 98 games there. Yeah, and he's the kind of guy that's gonna probably be in the lineup a lot over this final nine days of the regular season. Whereas, you know, if you look at some teams like because the Angels are looking ahead to 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are some teams who are going to rest their stars. I'll get into that with Aaron Judge and John Carlos Stanton, guys like that, where I feel like the Angels are just going to put Walsh in there. I mean, they've set Shohei Otani five days in a row as we yeah. record here on Thursday. He's not going to play Friday either. Um, they're just looking ahead to next season. And if a guy's got some power and he's got the playing time, I mean, he could get you a, a couple more home runs in the final week and a couple more RBIs and, and maybe win some leagues down the stretch. Yeah, he had a big power season in 2018 as well in the minors. And I know last year it was, you know, Pacific Coast League. There was the MLB baseball in AAA as well. So you, maybe you're a little skeptical about that. But in 2018, there wasn't the MLB baseball in the minors yet. And only part of that season was in the Pacific Coast League. So I don't know. I think he's pretty intriguing. And, and at this point, I think, yeah, he is 27 years old. So, like, he's old for, like, a prospect. But I think these days, and, you know, we've talked about when we uh, we had Jared Diamond on, like, players can turn into uh, massive power hitters. People, you know, you might not have expected. So I think you can't just rule someone out because they've had success in the minors and haven't had it yet in the majors. Yeah, it can be situational. And- yeah. He was a three-year college player at Georgia, um, so d- didn't really start his pro career. Didn't have his first full pro season until the age of 22, 23. Yeah. Um, so some, sometimes those position players out of college are just late bloomers. Yeah, so I mean, if we were talking long-term, like let's say you know we were uh, 50 games into a normal season, so maybe we'd be toward like the end of May. Maybe we'd be careful about dropping anyone important for him. You know what I mean? But... And also keep in mind, he didn't do much during his time in the majors last year. So I do get a little bit of the hesitation, but 
this is all about the next week and a half. And, and like you said, you know, he's playing right now. He batted fifth in five straight games. He was in the number two spot on uh, Thursday. So a really good place to be in that Angels lineup. He's playing uh, Otani, like you said, not in the lineup right now. So I think all formats, you know, take a shot on someone like Walsh. Maybe drop someone who's been underperforming or maybe he's been in and out of the lineup, maybe a little banged up. But I think Walsh is like, the perfect example of a player you need to ride with as long as he's hot. Yeah. I, I like, you know, dropping, a, like say you're up on saves in like a rotisserie league, you know, drop a closer for him. It, it's that, it's that kind of moves that you, you got to make in this condensed kind of season. It's the kind of moves you'd make in the final season of, of a regular 162 game slate. Um, just to, to, to try to gain ground on a certain category you're behind in. So we're going to get to some more headlines here in a second, but don't forget the U.S. Open is upon us. The U.S. Open is home on NBC as the world's best golfers take on golf's greatest challenge. Watch Tiger Woods, Dustin Johnson, and golf's top names play live from historic Wingfoot Golf Club. Today on Golf, NBC, and Peacock should be a lot of fun. Obviously, an amazing time for sports right now. Feels like there's nonstop action in every sport right now. Basically like the polar opposite of our springtime. Yeah, I mean golf on the on the TV all day. Yeah. Got a basketball game on right now, a ton of baseball games, NFL's playing, yeah. uh Bengals Browns, the battle for Ohio. It's it's insane hockey too. Yeah. Um yeah, I mean the the sports calendar has never been this full, which which is cool. I think we're we're both kind of locked in on baseball because there's so much going on every day. Yeah. Um but yeah, I, I love watching golf, and I'll definitely be on on the couch on Saturday and Sunday watching the U.S. Open. That is a as a good company man. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I I just like taking <laughs> naps to golf, and I need a nap at this, at this point in the season. I, I hear um, you. I'm gonna that. run. Yeah, I'm gonna run through some injuries. Uh, I mentioned Giancarlo Stanton and uh, Aaron Judge returning to the Yankees this week. It, it was Stanton activated on Tuesday. Judge activated on Wednesday. Gio Urshela also came off the injured list this week, too. He shouldn't, should not go unmentioned. Another big season for him. Um, Stan played Tuesday, then sat Wednesday, and Judge played on Wednesday and then sat Thursday. Um, and Yankees manager Aaron Boone has indicated that there could be a lot of that over the final days of the regular season, like I said at the top of the show, as they prepare for the playoffs. Um, so fantasy managers need to be ready for that. Um, but obviously, you know, both Judge and Stanton are capable of providing huge offensive power outbursts when they are in the lineup in leagues that allow for daily moves, daily lineup changes. You just need to have another option at the ready in weekly leagues like, like for the final week. I might honestly just go with someone else who's going to play every day. Like um, it was one week ago when people were talking about the Yankees possibly missing the playoffs yeah. and you know, rightly so. You know, they were just like hanging on to the number eight seed with the Mariners and Orioles and Tigers on their tail. But they've won uh, seven straight as we record here on Thursday night. They're playing the Blue Jays right now and are pretty much locked in uh, to a playoff spot. I think they probably get the five seed and a dangerous five seed, especially with Judge and Stanton healthy and Urshela and LeMahieu returned a bit ago. Yep. Um, Glaber Torres was back in the lineup on Thursday as well. He missed two games with the same left quad issue that sent him to the injured list back in August. So there was some concern there, but obviously it wasn't as serious this time around. I think he is another guy, though, that will probably get regular rest over the final stretch of games, you know, along with Judge and Stanton. Yeah, uh, Torres is like the perfect example of the kind of player like I'd consider dropping to bring to uh, pick yep. up someone like Jared Walsh. Yep, uh, and then I'll just I'll run through a couple more items real quickly. Reese Hoskins was placed on the injured list this week after suffering an elbow injury last Saturday. Uh, it's been diagnosed as a UCL ultra, ulnar collateral ligament issue, um, and it I, it sounds to me like this is headed toward Tommy John surgery. Um, there is some hope that he can get up enough grip strength to return for the final four days of the regular season. Um, this isn't like a, a pitcher who just has to be shut down. Like sometimes offensive players can play through it a little bit. Um, and the Phillies are at 500, I believe right now, um, trying to get a, one of those final postseason spots in the, in the national league. But I think it's only delaying the inevitable. Um, Hoskins had been on a heater before the injury and, 
You know, he's likely going to miss the first half of the 2021 season if it, it does wind up in Tommy John territory. So big blow in general for this year and quite possibly next year. Um, and then JT Real Muto also got injured last Saturday. His is a, fl- a hip flexor strain. Um, it's believed to be relatively minor, but he hasn't played since Saturday. Um, and again, the Phillies are fighting for a postseason spot. So if, if he was able to go, I think he'd be in there. So I think there's some definitely con- some concern with, with that injury. He hasn't been placed on the injured list. And like there's talk of him returning this weekend against the Blue Jays. Hopefully that happens uh, for him and the Phillies and for people who have him on their fantasy rosters. Free agency looms large for Real Muto this winter. Um, you know, wh- what do you think, DJ, first big splash for Steve Cohen as, no, as the Mets owner? <laughs> I, no doubt. I think that's going to be it, maybe not number one item, because I think number one might be signing Michael Conforto to an extension. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think it's if it's not 1A, it's 1B. Like, yep. uh, especially watching Wilson Ramos this week. Oh, man, he just <laughs> I feel like he hits into a double play at least once a game. It's it's just He's had a bad year, and I mean, uh, well, yeah, <laughs> Realuto obviously the best catcher in the game. Um, you know, both sides of the ball, he's tremendous. Um, so I mean, that would be quite a balance. You know, a tip as far as balance of power in the NL East to to pick him up. And I do think that uh, Steve Cohen's going to want to make a couple of big splashes as as the new owner of that team. So uh, it's going to be fascinating. And even as a Mets fan, where yeah, I mean, it would be nice to see the Mets win this year obviously but you know there is some silver lining in it that there's going to be a lot to look forward to next year under new ownership at least I hope yes I saw one uh I don't know if it was a tweet or a blog post where like over the course of the Wilpons tenure like the the contract they gave to Mike Piazza was one of the biggest contracts they gave out it was like 95 million dollars and like Steve Cohen the other month bought a, a glass three foot rabbit sculpture for ninety five million dollars. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. I, I saw that. So if he's willing to do that, I think he can bring Real yeah. Muto into the fold if he wants. Uh, but right. I, I did I, a few weeks ago. I was seeing like there was some doubt about whether the other owners would you know accept him or, or you know give him the majority vote. And like some of the skepticism was based on that he might like pay players too much uh, <laughs> which sounds about right with the state of baseball right now so i thought that was funny you just, you just made me depressed <laughs> anyway uh one more thing before we get into our all rebound teams uh max freed is scheduled to return to the Braves starting rotation this friday night against the mets uh he, he was actually already activated off the injured list thursday during the braves off day he returns to a 6-0 record, 1.98 ERA, 47 strikeouts in 50 innings. Um, was a Cy Young contender, maybe is still going to get votes. Just make sure you get him activated. Cole Hamels finally made his Braves debut on Wednesday. Uh, but as we talked about last week, I believe, he's going to be making shorter starts and I think is already a fringy fantasy guy at this point in his career, even if he were at full strength. Uh, but I, it's important for the Braves that they're getting healthy right now, uh, looking ahead to October. So just a quick promo here before we get started uh, with our all-rebound teams. The all-new Roto-World Premium subscription packages have the tools and resources you need to dominate your fantasy leagues from drafts through the playoffs. Best of all, subscriptions are not just one sport. They include football, baseball, basketball, and hockey. And as a listener of the Roto World Baseball podcast, you can get $10 off any annual subscription to Roto World Premium. To find your edge, visit rotoworld.com slash edge using the promo code BBPOD10 at checkout. Again, rotoworld.com slash edge and use the promo, co- promo code BBPOD10 at checkout. I should say, I got some dental work done earlier today and my <laughs> half of my mouth was numb until like an hour ago. So it was, a, it was a close call if I was going to be able to even talk on this show. What's my excuse for not being able to get words out? <laughs> but I'm feeling good now. I, I'm good. I was a little worried for a little while, so, but I'm here. I got my, I got my wisdom teeth taken out uh, at some point like in the spring. That, mm-hmm. was not, that was not fun. Have you had that? I had that like 
a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the problem is I waited so long, and so they were like impacted, and oh, I yeah. was. I was down for the count for two weeks. I don't think oh. we had the podcast going at that point. Probably not. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mine was something really minor. So, uh, but yeah, it's all good. Um, so uh, our all rebound teams, uh, basically we're turning the focus to next season. I know this has been such a weird year where I think under normal circumstances, like I was saying, like if we were 50 games deep into a normal season, I don't know if we'd be overreacting and making such harsh judgments on certain players who've underperformed. Yeah, we might be like a little annoyed and impatient, but I don't know if he'd be like dropping these guys and maybe they'd end up going on like a hot streak and making this all irrelevant. So I think this is going to be a really fascinating offseason for evaluation purposes. Um, So you'll see with like with my rebound guys, it's a lot of players who are injured. Um, Yeah. You know, this this isn't like a typical sleepers discussion because these are generally guys who had a little bit of hype or maybe were thought of as breakout candidates and it didn't happen or or, or they were drafted highly and they just have underperformed. And we're talking about do you throw everything out? Are there certain indicators that maybe they're on a decline? Um, Yeah, let's just get into it. All right. So we're going to start a catcher. um, And I my pick is was one of the bigger breakout guys from last year mitch garver with the twins had 31 homers with a 995 ops and just 359 plate appearances last year and you looked at all like the power metrics they all seem to back up what he did um it was kind of uh an outlier as far as power but you know you still figured with the volume of at bats he was likely to get that you'd still you know see 20 to 30 homer production uh but obviously this year that hasn't worked out um just 61 plate appearances. Uh, he's missed time with an intercostal strain recently, but hitting 154 with one home run, 24 strikeouts, again, in 61 plate appearances. I mean, it's only 61 plate appearances. You know what I mean? And he's been hurt. Yeah. Um, and I love that Twins lineup. I know Ryan Jeffers has been up recently for the Twins, and it looks like he could be something. Uh, but is it enough to take away like the majority of at bats from Mitch Garver? Like even if they're sharing playing time, which we saw what Garver did last year, Garver can still be really, really useful. So he's someone that I'm sure is likely to fall to maybe like fringy top 12 in drafts next year, maybe fringy top 10. Um, but I'd certainly take a chance on a rebound there. Yeah, I mean, by by we by the time we were doing drafts in the spring he had climbed to the number four catcher yeah um i i think yeah i think you're right i think he'll drop more towards number 10 because people will just look at the overall stat line and won't necessarily trust 2019 yeah. but like you said i i you can just throw out 61 plate appearances like totally he's one of the he's one of the guys where i, I would just totally toss out what happened here in 2020. Yep. Um, I, I went with Jorge Alfaro at, with my, as my all rebound catcher. Uh, he was the 13th catcher off the board in the average Yahoo fantasy draft for 2020. So not a ton of hype, but you could find a lot of people who were projecting him as a potential breakout candidate after a pretty encouraging first year with the Marlins in 2019. Um, oh, and I want to, I want to say we were planning to record this on Wednesday but had to shift to Thursday due to some scheduling issues. So that was before his two homer game mm. last night and his pinch hit RBI single today. So I should get some credit for calling <laughs> this. Well, he still had just like one home run on the season. Uh, but yeah, you look at, you look at the overall numbers and they're still rough, like 692 OPS. Uh, but he was one of the Marlins players who tested positive for COVID-19 back in late July, wound up missing basically a month of action um, so the sample size is going to be really small and might be one that I just throw out um, as I make my individual fantasy evaluations for 2021. I still like the skill set a whole lot, some powers, pretty good speed for a catcher. And he's he really be quick. The, he's really like yeah. I watched him in the series against the Mets recently running the bases. He's really fast. I know we talk about Real Muto and maybe you're a bit surprised to see how fast Alfaro is, but it would be interesting to see him try to steal some more bases. He yeah he doesn't he's not very aggressive but he's faster than Real Muto like based on sprint speed I think mm-hmm. Dalton Varsho of the Diamondbacks would be yeah. the fastest catcher but he like plays center field too so that doesn't count <laughs> yeah. um, 
But yeah, I, I'm going to give Al- Alfaro a pass this year. He's the long-term everyday guy uh, behind the plate for an up-and-coming Marlins team. And I think just fighting back from the virus, and he's turned it on lately and, and will maybe make a splash offensively in the playoffs. I think he can be a top-10 catcher next year and might not be drafted as one. Mm-hmm. Um, just turned 27 years old this summer. There's a lot better production to come. Yeah, I mean, he's never going to be like an on-base guy, but certainly he hits the ball really hard. Uh, the Marlins lineup is is getting better. I think this offseason, you know, they could make a splash too since their pitching is pretty much ready to go. Um, so he could have a better supporting cast around him. I think certainly, you know, he should be looked at as the top 10 catcher going into drafts next year. Okay, moving over to first base, uh, I'm going to go with Pete Alonzo. Of course, had the rookie record with 53 homers uh, last season. This year, 11 homers in 47 games. So, you know, kind of on a pretty good homer pace. You know, if this was 162, he'd probably be, you know, mid-30 homer pace. But uh, not hitting for average. Uh, It's weird, though, because strikeout and walk rates are right in line with where he was last season. But batting average on balls in play going into play on Thursday was at 234. He was at 280 last year. Um, And as far as the power goes, fly ball rate right where it was last year. Um, but there's been small decreases in barrel rate, hard hit percentage, average exit velocity. And I also, just from watching him, like he's such an emotional player that you can tell like whether it's just his own individual struggles or like the struggles of the team, like he's really pressing at the plate. Like every at bat, he is so intense. Um, and whatever the end result of the bat is, you see it in him too. Uh, so you wonder if he's just, you know, it's just kind of snowballed and now it's, he just needs like a clean slate of like a new season. We know it had, we know he has it in him. So I don't want to look into these results too much, but I'm sure next year he'll be a decent value. Maybe Steve Cohen can give him some cash and take, take the edge off. (laughs) Oh, that would be, I wouldn't complain. I wouldn't complain. Yeah. I went with Matt Olson at first base. Uh, We were both higher on Olson than where he was being, selected uh and he has kind of delivered in the areas where we expected him to deliver 13 home runs 38 rbis hitting in the middle of a a good a's lineup Uh, but the batting average sits at 190 here on thursday night the ops is at 751 um so not the rate stats we expected i think he's still a pretty underrated player in general so the more casual the more casual fans and fantasy managers are going to look at the poor rate stats and probably won't see any reason to, to draft him super high in 2021. His average draft position on Yahoo this spring was 71. I think that might be around where he goes uh, next year, but with, you know, with his power and his supporting cast over a full 162 game slate, I think he would be a top 50 player. Um, he's never going to be a big stat booster in the batting average department, but I think he's closer to a 250 260 hitter than a 190 guy. Um, and right now, even though the poor there are those poor rate stats, he would be on pace for 44 home runs and 126 RBIs over 162 games. Like that's that's better than we expected, or pretty close to what we expected. So, uh, this is a question I was thinking about because we've seen how crazy uh, Luke Voigt has been recently for the Yankees. Like, if you could put these guys in order of where you would draft them next year: Pete Alonso, Matt Olson, Luke Voigt. Which way would you go? Oh no! You're gonna you're gonna bring out my, <laughs> my fickle nature as like yeah recency bias yeah oh man I don't know I'm not gonna answer the question <laughs> I I would go Alonzo Voigt Olson that's my gut feeling I'm good with that right. but it's it's very I close have, I have to think about it I have to think I know it's uh, that's super close I mean Voigt. <sighs> He's made the better case, but again, like, do we, how much do we want to put into these numbers? Yeah. I don't know. There, there are guys like right, right now. We're in, in this segment. We're talking about guys who have underperformed. What about the guys that have overperformed? How much stock do you give to those numbers? Well, that we could do an episode on that. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> um, we should do that um, next week. Yeah. Uh, so over to second base, another injury situation, at least somewhat. Uh, Cattell Marte, uh, of course, huge year last year. Uh, 32 homers in 144 games last year. He's hit for average this year. Uh, hit 290, 
uh, through 173 plate appearances, but just two home runs in 40 games. Uh, he's actually out right now with left wrist inflammation. And I'm not sure if like that's something that was a lingering issue or what, but maybe it could explain you know the power drop off. Uh, Marte, you know, st- still made excellent contact. Uh, been a bit more aggressive this year, which is interesting. Uh, 2.9% walk rate this year, which is super low. He was at 8.4% in 2019. Uh, and then you look across the board, hard hit rate, bail percentage, exit velocity down. Um, so it's it's a weird case for him. I, I think he's someone who's going to fall quite a bit in drafts next year. Probably still be you know, in the top 100 or maybe in a fringy. Uh, but certainly, you know, given the the state of the baseball in 2019, I think there's going to be, you know, some skepticism with some of these players who had crazy power numbers in 2019 and this year it, it fell off, you know. And, and I think Marte probably coming into this year, there were some doubters anyway. Um, but I think maybe those doubts are, are justified at this point. I went with Ozzy Albies at second base, and this one's pretty simple. Um, he missed five weeks with a bone contusion in his right wrist, and you know five weeks in this season is over half the year. Uh, so when you're drafting next spring and, and looking back at Albies' production, it's all going to look far from elite. Uh, he was the third second baseman off the board this spring and summer, but as we've talked about many times on this podcast, there were similar ADPs among all of the top second base options this year, mm-hmm. and they varied from site to site. Um, I think Albies will, will be my number one second baseman when we do our ranking shows next year, even though he's going to finish with probably about five home runs and five stolen bases and an OPS in the low 700s. Um, and he's been batting ninth for the Braves since his return from the injured list earlier this month. Uh, began the year hitting second behind Ronald Acuna and right in front of Freddie Freeman. And he should be back in that number two spot next year, or even in the playoffs this year. Um, I guess we'll see how much of a, a discount there is with him. If if the Braves, you know, get back to their preferred lineup configuration in the postseason and their rotation gets healthy and they make a run, I, I think Albies will be back on the, on people's conscience again. Yeah. I mean, the Braves lineup right now is just rolling. Uh, Dansby Swanson, Travis Darno, Adam Duvall, Duvall, I think he has 10 home runs this month. Yep. He's been out of his mind. The Braves could be the Braves could be dangerous if they get healthy at the right time. Um, but I do think the fact that there are no off days in the postseason could hurt a team like the Braves because the rotation just isn't very deep. Getting Hamels back is obviously big, but um, you know the injuries that they've had, the disappointments they've had in that rotation, uh, it could be tough. Yeah, they're they're gonna lead teams in, in pitching changes in yeah. October. Their bullpen's uh, good. Their bullpen's pretty good. Very good, actually. Yeah, it is. It is good. Um, but yeah, they're gonna they're gonna be running through some arms there with with no off days. Mm-hmm. So third base next up, Alex Bregman is my pick here, and another injury situation. Missed some time with a hamstring strain. Uh, four homers, no steals through thirty games. Hitting two sixty three with a three sixty eight on base percentage. Uh, still sort of the, you know, the saving grace here for me is like, he just has an amazing approach at the plate. Um, same amount of walks as strikeouts, 18 walks, 18 strikeouts and 133, 133 plate appearances. Again, it's just such a small sample, 30 games because of the time that he's missed that I'm just not willing to, to, uh, put him that low down on my board going into next year. I think coming into this year, he probably... I can't think if he was on any of my teams. He was probably a second rounder, early second rounder in most fantasy leagues. Um, so I probably went in a different direction. Uh, but next year, I can certainly see him being you know, a player I'd reach for, like assuming he falls to maybe the third round or something like that. I went with Eugenio Suarez as my third baseman. Got off to a very slow start this season after he needed surgery in January on his right shoulder. Uh, but he has started mashing lately as the Reds had, have gone on a heater in general. Um, but there's not an, enough time left for Suarez's numbers to really normalize. He had been gr- on this great career trajectory. OPS, home runs, RBIs, all increasing year over year. Uh, but he's probably going to finish with his lowest OPS since 2016. Um, and he'll probably go back to being somewhat overlooked, I think, in casual fantasy drafts after finally cracking the top 180 P this spring and summer. 
Um, Suarez has continued to produce better results as he moves further and further away from that shoulder procedure. Uh, and he'll be very far away from it by next spring. I think we could see him chase 50 home runs if everything's normal next year and baseball is able to get back to playing 162 games. He had 49 home runs in 2019, along with a 930 OPS, 103 RBIs. So my shortstop, uh, and we talked about a little bit earlier, Glaber Torres, um, and this is partially an injury thing. Of course, missed time with the quad and hamstring issue, and like you said, it's apparently resurfaced here, so a little bit concerning this year, but he'll get a full offseason of rest, um, so I think that'll be a big positive, but obviously he's been a disappointment this year, hitting 262, two home runs and a 760 OPS. Uh, over 33 games going into play Thursday. Of course, last year had 38 homers and an 871 OPS over 144 games. Uh, barrel rate, average exit velocity down. Uh, but I think interestingly, he's also swung much less, much less often so far this year compared to last year. Uh, he was at 51.8% all the way down to 41% this year. So that's that's a big difference. And I wonder what's behind that. I don't really know, um, but that's such a striking difference to me. And I, I think I've noticed that um, Eno Saris from The Athletic, I believe, recently wrote a column kind of talking about how that's been a thing this year with players being less aggressive at the plate uh, for whatever reason. Uh, maybe it could just be that there's the pitchers are, you know, the quality of the pitchers coming up from the minors, you know, batters are more likely to lay off bad pitches. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's I think this year is just so strange that 33 games for Gleyber Torres, like I'm partially willing to throw it out given the lineup and the home stadium and just hope that he gets healthy during the offseason. Torres will lose his second base eligibility, I guess. Do, do you think Yahoo or, or like some services might just carry over? Um, eligibilities like I, I haven't really read anything about that. Yeah. I, 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 mean, I haven't heard anything about that yet but I, that wouldn't be a terrible idea because I don't know how they would determine it otherwise or I don't know if it would be they, fair would, to use the normal right thing. would they prorate like the amount of like could, could you be eligible if you played one game at the position because usually it's what like you have to have five starts or yeah. 10 appearances at a position I believe on Yahoo which is like the least strict yeah, I wouldn't mind it as far as Mookie Betts because he what he played uh, second base. Yeah, second base. <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> yeah. Um, my my shortstop was Javier Baez. Um, I've generally been lower than the average fantasy analyst on Baez because I think that season he put together in 2018 was a career outlier. That's when he finished second in the NL MVP voting with a 290 batting average, 881 OPS. 34 home runs, 21 steals, a bunch of RBIs and runs scored. You're close to a top 10 guy in fantasy that year with the full category coverage, but he predictably regressed in 2019 and he's been kind of awful in 2020. Um, As it stands here on Thursday night, he has a 211 batting average, 627 OPS and 171 plate appearances, only two stolen bases, seven home runs with the schedule ran a little longer um, or a lot longer. Like if it would be in a normal season, I have no doubt that he would get hot at some point. He's that kind of player. Um, certainly an incredible dynamic baseball talent. And he didn't sun- suddenly lose all of that at age 27. Um, and next year could be a contract year for him too. If you're into that narrative uh, a couple of years ago, he would have been a guy headed for a $200 million contract. Maybe he can get back to that next season. I could see him being undervalued, um, with kind of the decline that he's shown, um, if you just look at the numbers like baseball card stats. Mm-hmm. So moving to the outfield now, and I have to start with Cody Bellinger. Uh, of course, much was made of him changing his stance coming off an MVP season, but either way, uh, wasn't a good thing. Through 47 games this year, batting just 216 with 10 homers and a 698 OPS. Uh, slightly more aggressive this year, um, but... You look at the his success against fastballs last year. He just he mashed on the fastball. This year, not so much. Um, he's actually really struggled. There's been a lot of talk about him possibly needing to back away from the plate. Like he really s- basically stands on top of it, um, and he's been getting beat by fastballs inside. Um, so there is some chatter about that. I, I think it's just one of those things where he's going to need an off season to 
adjust because uh, there's got to be so many voices in his head as he's struggling over you know what's the right thing to do uh at the plate right now i suspect he'll be a little bit polarizing in drafts next year because of mm-hmm. the highs and lows here but again i mean the lineup there the the power and speed that he can offer um I just think you you got to take a shot. I think maybe he could slip into the second round in drafts next year. A pretty good bet on that, I think. Um, it, but, doesn't it? It seems kind of silly, like looking back, that he was the fourth overall pick and Mookie Betts was like seventh overall in most drafts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, it's it's hindsight. We have hindsight, but yeah. I was. I think. I'm I'm trying to remember my rankings, but I I think I did have Betts ahead of Bellinger, but it was fairly close. But I also think there was like a hive mind mentality of like fantasy analysts who pushed Bellinger up to the top. And we didn't, yep. we didn't really think about, cause he, he obviously had like the amazing first half and I think he finished pretty good too last year, but there was some time in there. I think it was like July and August where his numbers took a pretty decent dip. Um, so I don't know, but either way, I, I, I would yeah, take a shot yeah. on his upside, obviously. Christian Yelich is my first outfielder. Uh, we did that sort of mid-season redraft three or four episodes back at the beginning of September, and I think there's some good analysis in there on that episode that pertains to next season if people haven't heard it and want to go back and listen, um, even though it was designed for the remainder of this year. Uh, but but anyway, Yelich went went eighth overall in that in that redraft. It was my pick after you know he being in consideration for the number one overall pick in drafts this spring and summer. My thinking in drafting him at at eighth overall was that he would probably experience some positive regression down the stretch. That hasn't really happened. Um, His OPS is lower now than it was then. He has struck out a ton over the past couple of weeks. Overall right now a 208 batting average and 779 OPS after he batted 329 with an 1100 OPS in 2019. He's given you some homers and some stolen bases uh, but certainly not at, at the pace that he had last year or the year before. I think you know maybe he's like pressing some after signing that big contract extension in the spring. But does that narrative really work here in September? Um, probably not. But he's 28 years old. I, I think I'm inclined to wipe the slate clean and judge him on the 2018-2019 production. I don't think there's any decline here going on. Maybe he's not that special of a player the numbers he put up between those two seasons are insane um you know maybe you drop the expectations for batting average and steals because those were bound to decline a bit anyway um i don't think he's going to be a top five pick next spring but i do think he still belongs in the top 10 so my next outfielder is tommy fam and for me this is all about injuries physical issues fam had an elbow and a side issue in the spring He had a COVID diagnosis in summer camp, then had various bumps and bruises before suffering a fractured hammock bone in his right hand in mid-August. And Pete Alonso just hit a home run, by the way, so that's nice. Uh, All rebound team is already paying off. Um, uh, Fam, I think, is he back from the IL yet, or is it just sort of up in the air? No, they they keep saying any day now. It'll probably happen this weekend. Yeah. I think it's going to be something where he's another one of those players where he'll be, you know, getting a lot of days off, even assuming he does come back this weekend. You know, I think they just want to get him some bats before the postseason. Um, Fam is a little older than you might think. He's actually going to be 33 next March. But, you know, when he's right, I, I love the approach. Uh, really good patience at the plate. Offers power and speed. Hits the ball really hard. I love that Padres lineup. I'm going to love it next year. So, I'm sure Fam's going to fall pretty hard in drafts next year. So he's someone I'm probably going to be all over in a lot of leagues. My second outfielder is Nick Castellanos, um, who's actually been kind of fine. 12 homers, 29 RBIs, 816 OPS. And this is a situation where he has mostly met the expectations that I had for him. I was super high on him uh, when we were doing podcasts and analysis this spring and summer with the thinking that, you know, some of the league-leading 58 doubles he hit last year between Detroit and Chicago would turn into home runs now that he's playing in Cincinnati. And, you know, hey, the dude's on a 39-homer pace over 162-game extrapolation, which, you know, he had never before in his career topped 27 homers. 
Um, but, but people next spring will probably look at the somewhat under underwhelming slash line. And I think he drops back more towards like pick number 90, even maybe just inside the top 100. I'm, I'll be gladly drafting him around pick number 70, 75 again. He's 28 years old, under contract with the Reds through at least 2024 in that homer-friendly ballpark. All the reasons to like the power production are still there and will be there next year. I, I'd expect another active offseason for the Reds, too. That'll be a, a changing roster. They have a lot of impending free agents, but I think they're kind of built to contend right now as well. Um, they're, they're probably going to sneak into the playoffs after having a, a pretty rough like first six weeks they they've gotten hot like i I talked about previously um so maybe he like has a big some some big uh homers in the postseason or something and 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 shoots back up draft boards but i I think people have always kind of underrated him and i think he's just in a good spot to hit a lot of homers yeah castellano started the year hot but he's been pretty quiet you know over the past several weeks um so i feel like a lot of those homers were like weighted in the early part of the season so i think there could be sort of that recency bias of people being disappointed by him um so speaking of disappointments david Dahl with the rockies uh hitting just 176 zero homers 443 ops over 22 games this season uh of course recently missed some time with some back soreness um, but this is a guy who hit 291 with 31 homers and 109 RBIs over 177 games with the Rockies between 2018 and 2019. Still, what we've seen this year has been a little, like, just strange. Uh, big drop-offs in all the stat cast metrics uh, that we talk about a lot. Hard hit percentage, barrel percentage, average exit velocity. But I, I think some of that's got to be physical. I know he's had his share of injuries, but... You know, given its course field, you know, the track record that we've seen and, and, you know, when healthy over the previous two years, I really think that has to count for something. Um, Assuming the Rockies continue giving him a regular role, he's someone I'm likely to be all over in drafts next year. Uh, I think we had high expectations for him coming into this year. I think our rankings, our Roto World rankings come into the year. I think we had Dahl higher than a lot of places. Uh, But he'll be, you know, certainly a more reasonable uh, draft position going into drafts next spring. Um, But he's someone I would, I would take a shot on just to see, I think the price tag is going to be low enough that it'll be worth that potential upside. I agree with you there. Uh, My third outfielder is Austin Meadows. Who's been among the biggest disappointments in fantasy. If, if we're just talking hitters, let me see. I'm scrolling through ADP. Jordan Alvarez definitely, Mm. uh, J.D. Martinez, yeah. Uh, Adalberto Mondesi in, in some ways, I guess, but he's winning people the stolen bases category mm-hmm. on his own. And you know, we've covered a lot of the rest of them that, that would be considered disappointments. Meadows had a lot of hype coming into the year. 922 OPS last season, 33 homers, 12 steals, and 138 games at age 24. Uh, but he caught COVID-19 at, at some point during summer camp. Um, and was out until early August, and he's batting 205 with a 663 OPS and 151 plate appearances since returning. Only four home runs, two stolen bases. He also left Thursday's doubleheader against the Orioles with an oblique injury, so that's not great either, um, especially for the Rays going into the postseason. It's probably worth talking about how COVID might affect players even when they return um, it makes me think about Russell Westbrook and how lost he looked in the Houston Rockets series against the Lakers. I'm not sure how much basketball you've been watching with two kids at home. Not but, much. <laughs> um, yeah, with Westbrook, it wasn't necessarily physical either. It was like boneheaded plays. Hmm. Um, and I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm no doctor. And, and Freddie Freeman seems to be doing just fine. And he was one of the hardest hit cases that we've heard of. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. But I, I think there's something to be said for losing some strength or there's studies about how it affects people's brains we know eduardo rodriguez of the red sox had a heart issue and some players in college football have dealt with that same heart condition so there are kind of lasting effects of this thing that probably has to be factored into some analysis as well um just to wrap up on meadows though i trust the talent he's 25 years old with the power and the speed on a good dynamic raise team i'm fully confident that he can be a terrific fantasy outfielder in the long run. And he, I think he'll probably be that next year. 
So now we're moving over to pitchers. Uh, we're each going to do three starting pitchers and a closer. Uh, so my first starting pitcher, Frankie Montes. Coming off a PED suspension, he has a 5.86 ERA through nine starts. 44 strikeouts in 43 innings. So uh, Montes is still missing bats, but uh, he's had setbacks with his control and the home run ball. And a big reason for that is his splitter, uh, which is such an effective pitch for him last year, but uh, just hasn't delivered the same results this year. Seven home runs allowed after allowing uh, just eight in 96 innings last year. And remember, I, I just said he's only thrown 43 innings this year. Uh, 20 walks in 43 innings after walking just 23 batters all of last season. You know, I'm willing just to give him a bit of a mulligan here. Uh, I do think that, you know, coming off the PED suspension, there's probably going to be some people who are like, oh, that was all, you know, PED aided. Uh, so I do think he's going to come at a pretty big discount next year. But, mm-hmm. you know, if yep. he can get that splitter back to where he was last year, I know that can be a tricky pitch. Uh, and you can lose your feel for it. Uh, but, you know, given the discount that there's likely to be on his ADP, uh, chances are, you know, given how talented the athletics are, uh, that's a chance I'd be willing to take. Walker Bueller is my first starter. I think with Walker Bueller, we can point entirely to this blister on his right hand that has limited him, limited him to two starts since August 21st. He's really really only had two bad outings. One was on August 15th against the Angels. The other was on September 8th against the Diamondbacks when that blister opened up on him again. And if this were a normal season, his numbers would all even out after those two bad outings. The ERA isn't that bad anyway at 386. Strikeout rate's down a little, but not crazily. And again, he's been fighting through that blister. He's only going to make one more start, too, um, so that the Dodgers know that the blister will will be fully healed going into the playoffs. Uh, But yeah, the overall stat line is is not going to look like the stuff of a top five fantasy starter going into next season. And that's where he was drafted at at this season. On average, the fifth starting pitcher off the board. Um, Maybe he that blister heals and he helps lead the Dodgers to the world series and gets that reputation back. I could totally see that happening too. Um, but if the Dodgers don't make a deep run, you know, if, if we've got these three game series, anything can happen. Um, I wonder if he might drop a little bit um, unreasonably in my mind, he had a, a 15th overall ADP on Yahoo that could feel aggressive given the sort of like mediocre output, at least in the regular season. Um, but you have, probably Justin Verlander dropping out of the top five Scherzer maybe, but I think he sticks up there. I, I think Bueller should still be a top five guy, maybe even top four. So Tyler Glasnow is my next starting pitcher. And I think this might just partially be like people maybe paying too much attention to ERA. Cause he's at four, four, seven through nine starts, but he's actually struck out 73 batters and 46 in a third innings. Uh, that feels like a misprint, but I think that's right. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Glasnow, of course, was late to get started in summer camp, but he's been up and down ever since. But the velocities looked really good. Um, the control has been a little bit off. Um, 19 walks so far. Uh, but still, ace upside if he can get it right. Um, and I think going into drafts next year, I, I think, first off, you know, the way that this season has gone, as far as like the quick ramp up to the season, I think it could throw everything off for a pitcher. And especially with Glasnow getting that late start on the season and then just getting thrown into it. You know, yeah. I'm willing to throw some of these starts out. And I think coming into the year, probably Glasnow was drafted as a top 20 starting pitcher uh, with that potential top 10 upside. I think he's probably going to be outside the top 20 in drafts next year, possibly. Um, but he's someone, again, you know, could be a fantasy ace if he's healthy and if he can get that control in check. So um, I'd certainly be all over that. Yeah, I mean, we've talked all season about how ERA for pitchers is going to be out of whack because if, if you have two bad outings out of, you know, 10 to 11 outings, it's going to be in the fours or, yeah. you know, or maybe even in the fives. Yeah, Glasnow, um, has, Glasnow does have 73 strikeouts in 46 and a third innings. That's incredible. That is incredible. <laughs> I, I have a lot of shares of him, so <laughs> with a four four seven ERA, man, that's crazy. Fourteen point two strikeouts per nine, man. I'm I'm all over that. 
that beats Garrett Cole's K per nine last year, which I think yeah. was a record. Yeah. Uh, among among starting pitchers, at least. Yep. All right. Uh, Chris Paddock is my second starter. He's somehow only three and four uh, on a really good Padres team. Again, with the ERA four point seven four. I don't see a whole lot in his peripherals that tell me he's been as below average as those numbers suggest. The velocity is better than it was last year. Strikeout rate is about the same over a strikeout printing. He's only allowed nine walks. Um, the rate of hits that he has allowed is far higher. And I think batting average on balls in play tells the story there. He had a 237 BABIP in 2019. It has jumped to 305 here in 2020. So he's dealing with a lot of bad luck. Um, and you know, rather than looking at Paddock and saying he's taken a step backward, I think if you look at all the numbers, I'd say he's taken a step forward. Um, you know, outside of the ERA, and I, I'm not, I'm not so sure that the change in average draft position from this year to next year will reflect that. I think it should, though. He's 24 years old, frontline starter for a young, talented San Diego club with a very bright future. He could get o- overshadowed a bit by Denelson Lamette, who is, I think, pushing into the top 10 for next year with with what he's done this season. Yeah, I, I love Chris Paddock for next year. I mean, I think to me he just like screams fantasy ace. Um, Lamette does too, <laughs> and Mike Clevenger yeah. can be that guy also. Um, the Padres are just so good. Uh, Mackenzie Gore at some point. Yeah. Too. Oh man, that they're going to be dangerous for a long time. Uh, so my third, my third starting pitcher is sort of conditional, um, but I'm putting James Paxson in here tentatively. Six six four ERA through five starts this year. Of course, uh, down with a grade one flexor strain in his forearm. I think unlikely he pitches again this year. And even if he does, probably in a relief capacity. I think it's obviously something to watch there as far as the flexor strain, if this turns out to be something more than that. Um, But looking at his actual performance, uh, it was kind of strange. Like, he does have that high ERA, but he was still missing a lot of of bats. The control wasn't necessarily bad. Um, And I think... The other question, even putting aside the health, is that he's going to be a free agent this winter. So the conditional part is the health and wherever he ends up signing. Um, but let's assume he's healthy come spring time. I think he could be a great value. You know, let's say if he returns to Seattle or yeah, I was just about yeah. to say back to Seattle or signs awesome. with like a team like the Giants. I could see that. I could see the Angels because they need some help on yeah. that staff. Like if he went mm-hmm. to any of those three spots, like. I think he'd be a great rebound play. Uh, Lance McCullers is my third starter. Here's another guy where I want to point out that I made my list on Tuesday. Um, (laughs) McCullers returned from a neck injury on Wednesday night and allowed just two hits over seven scoreless innings against the Rangers, which brought his season ERA down uh, from 5.79 to 4.87. There's been a lot of inconsistency this year from McCullers, like almost uh, consistently inconsistent, like a good start, bad start, a great start, and then an awful start. Uh, kind of the nature of pitchers returning from Tommy John surgery, regaining the strength gets talked about a lot. It's also regaining that feel. Um, the stuff has been electric when he has that feel. And I, I've seen enough of it to say he's in for an excellent season in 2021, which will only be his age 27 campaign. Tommy John will be way in, in the rear view, like almost two full years removed from it. Um, definitely a guy I'll be targeting. I think he's going to be like a middle round, mid to late round guy in drafts next spring. And I can already say for sure I'm going to have a lot of shares of McCullers. Well, you remember when McCullers was at his best, he relied a lot on his curveball, which was just a really nasty pitch for him. It makes sense that, you know, in your first year back from Tommy John surgery, you know, it's it's a feel thing, and maybe some days he felt like he didn't have it this year. But uh, in his most recent start, the one you're talking about on Wednesday, he threw more curveballs than he did fastballs. Yeah. Uh, and that's really mm-hmm. what he did when he was at his best. So I think that's a good sign. Uh, he actually got nine swings and misses on his curveball, too. Uh, so, you know, I think a lot of positives potentially going into uh, 2021 there. So I, I'm on board with that. I think also Jose Arquiti. Uh, of course, missed a ton of time this year. Had a really good start the other day. He's someone who was a sleeper or a potential breakout yep. guy this spring. You know, I could see getting him at a nice uh, discount as well next year. Uh, so closer, uh, man, I, I'm not, uh, I, this was hard for me. This was really hard because I, I, I just dislike closers that much. 
Uh, you, you know what? what? I told you I was going to send you over my list. Um, and I was, as I was kind of making it and going through the closer ranks, I was like, oh, I shouldn't have suggested we pick a closer. Hmm. And then I found mine and I was like, oh, just, just take an injured guy. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I did. I went with Kirby Yates. Uh, surgery for bone chips in his elbow. Uh, had a 12 4 6 ERA in six appearances prior to going down. This isn't like a Tommy John surgery, it's an elbow cleanup. So I'm not too worried about this being like a lingering thing for him. I think he'll get back to being an effective closer. Uh, I think the question with him, a little bit conditional because he's a free agent this offseason. So, you know, sort of about where he ends up, but uh, I'm pretty confident wherever he winds up that he's going to go back to being a pretty reliable fantasy closer. I went with Jordan Hicks. Uh, He opted out of the season as a diabetic uh, but he might not have pitched anyway as he makes his way back from Tommy John surgery. He apparently had a minor setback with his rehab in July, but it doesn't sound like anything too serious. And I think he'll be throwing back to triple digits like usual come spring training. I don't see much competition for him with the closer job in St. Louis, assuming he makes a full recovery. Giovanni Gallegos didn't get to pitch much this year because of the Cardinals COVID-19 outbreak and a groin injury that is probably going to end his season early. So he didn't really get to put a chance to put a stamp on that ninth inning job. And if the Cardinals spend this winter, I think it'll definitely be on offense. It's clearly a glaring need. They're not going to be signing high dollar relievers. I I hope not. It's, it's where they've been burned in free agency lately. I think it'll be Hicks job if he's healthy and I mean, he'll be uh, 20 months removed from Tommy John's surgery. I think he'll go, Late in fantasy drafts is kind of a forgotten man among the closer ranks. But again, I, we need to re-examine the whole closer situation like around mid-March last year or <laughs> next year. <laughs> yeah, I agree. So that's our uh, all rebound teams. Uh, so just something to think about, you know, looking ahead to 2021. We are kind of getting to that point where we're wrapping things up this season, which which feels really weird that it's ending this soon. But I, I guess it is. Um, so I'm going to give you some streamers for the weekend. Um, you know, we'll start off on Friday, but of course, you know, this is only relevant if you can pick up, uh, players and actually play them on the same day you pick them up. Uh, not all leagues are that way. I have Jordan Montgomery against the Red Sox. That's a pretty, uh, I mean, the Red Sox are talented offense, but pitching staff so bad that, you know, there's good win potential there. And the Yankees have been rolling offensively. Carlos Martinez against the Pirates. Obviously the Pirates are... One of the worst offensive teams in the majors. Um, Rich Hill against the Cubs. You know, a little bit risky, but you like Hill's track record. Uh, Danny Duffy against the Brewers. The Brewers lineup is, their offense has just been really bad, disappointing this year. And Duffy's, you know, been fairly good this year. I know he got pushed back this week uh, because he failed to make the team flight to Detroit. Um, but That was a weird story, by yeah, the way. Yeah, I, I don't know the full story behind that, but, uh, you know, Seems like he's okay and healthy and everything. I guess that's the most important part. Um, we'll see if anything else comes out of that. But he's pitched he's pitched pretty well this year um, when healthy. So I'm into that matchup. Also, Kevin Gossman uh, missed his most recent start with uh, an elbow scare. Had some elbow tightness. But MRI came back clean. Uh, gets the athletics. Not an easy matchup. But Gossman's been so good this year, especially strikeout-wise, that I think you got to chase the strikeouts there against the A's. Moving on to Saturday, Pablo Lopez gets the Nationals. That Nationals lineup doesn't really scare me outside of uh, outside of uh, uh, Soto and Trey Turner. Uh, there's just not much, much going on there. Pablo Lopez is allowed two earned runs or fewer in seven out of his nine starts this season. Michael Pineda against the Cubs. Pineda's been pretty good uh, since coming back from his suspension. Hasn't given up a home run yet. Uh, that will happen. We've seen that over the years trouble with the home run ball but you can generally count on good number of strikeouts good control uh, i like the twins lineup as well uh chris bubich with the royals rookie right-hander gets the brewers again i'm p- picking on the brewers with this matchup uh bubich has had three straight solid starts so i like him a lot he's only rostered in five percent of yahoo league so maybe more of a deeper league play Moving on to Sunday, uh, I think a pretty good day for streamers. Davey Garcia, probably rostered in the most competitive leagues at this point. He's been on a roll. Gets the Red Sox, so keep going there. Dane Dunning with the White Sox, rookie right-hander. 
uh, gets the Reds. Uh, Dunning's been awesome. Th- two three three ERA through his first five starts in the majors. Coming off a really impressive start against the Twins. Joe Musgrove, a little riskier, gets the Cardinals. I know he's been a disappointment this year, but struck out eight batters in five innings in his most recent start, so I'm chasing after those strikeouts there. Finally, Taewon Walker had an ugly start against the Yankees on Tuesday. I know a lot... I think only one of the runs were earned because there was a couple of misplays in the outfield there. Um, Derek Fisher. <laughs> yeah, two. he made two really weird plays uh, in the outfield. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think he's been generally pretty solid since joining the Blue Jays. Um, so, I, I, you know, feel free to get back and, and give him another shot. Gets the Phillies. Uh, and the Phillies are banged up like right now, like you said. Uh, they're still dangerous, but, you know, missing a couple of key components. So... I'd roll with that as well. So some good good streaming choices this weekend. Absolutely. Um, go win your leagues, everybody. Good yeah. luck. Yeah, good luck. Um, and we'll see you back here next week. We'll try to think of another theme episode for next week, kind of wrapping up this season uh, and most likely looking ahead to next year. So that'll be fun. If you like what you're hearing with this show, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review if you don't mind. We would appreciate it. Follow us on Twitter if you don't already. I'm at DJ Short. Drew is at Drew Silve. Be safe out there, and we'll see you next time. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.